Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's June 15th, 2022, and this week we're going to be answering the following three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last few days. First up, how can you get your international education plans heard on campus? Second, is it possible to flip the international admissions process? And finally, what's happening north of the border with international students in Canada? We'll answer these three questions and more today on the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. And for those of you that are new to the Roundup, what we do each week here on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time is we go in depth into three news stories or themes we've seen in news stories the last week and give our uh, takes on how these news stories can and should be interpreted as it relates to international education efforts on your campus. Uh, maybe some of it is, is just F FYI uh, as to what's going on in the world related to these uh, international ed topics that are our heart and soul and our, our profession. Uh, and other, other times it's more philosophical in terms of how you can uh, leverage certain tools or uh, take certain perspectives to enhance what you do in international education. So let's get right into it. Our news stories uh, that we cover are summarized each week in our SMIE Consulting newsletter. That's called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. And if you're wondering what SMIE is, it's Social Media and International Education, my two passions professionally. And what we do, the newsletter comes out on Mondays on 9 a.m. Eastern time for those that have subscribed to our website. And I'll be putting the links to the website in our uh, comment section on the Facebook page at SMIE Consulting dot org slash subscribe if you want to go there now. Alternately, if you're on LinkedIn, uh, we do uh, publish that newsletter uh, every Monday as well. Same content that's on, on the website, uh, website newsletter subscription you can get through uh, LinkedIn if that's where you prefer to digest your news content where I summarize anywhere from five, uh, four or five uh, social media stories and then 15 to 20 to 30 some weeks uh, international education stories that give um, our short takes, hot takes on those issues of the day. So uh, when that comes out on Monday morning, uh, we then take a look at uh, the themes that we see developing and then cover three of those themes here on the Roundup on Wednesdays. So let's get into our first question of the day. <clears throat> and that is, how can you get your international education plans heard on campus? Now this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because when uh, on every campus I've been on uh, in my almost 30 years in the business, uh, having senior leadership know about your plans uh, was the golden ticket. Uh, know about it, one, and two, agree with it, and th three, fund it. Uh, and those are the things that really um, will make a difference in terms of uh, the success or failure of your efforts long term. Now, uh, what I do recommend is there are a lot of great articles out there, um, a lot of great services that you can look into, a lot of great providers. Uh, part of my consulting business is working with institutions uh, to strategize and develop those plans. Uh, and I certainly hope that uh, uh, you get a chance to uh, check out the very various resources that are out there. And uh, I'm certainly uh, biased towards my own, but uh, there are certainly plenty of companies that will uh, do that. Uh, one of those that I've, uh, I reference quite often in our newsletter and often on here on the Roundup is Inted. Uh, they've had... Um, uh, uh, they provide a lot of amazing resources uh, and for uh, to help you get a hold of your digital 
uh, strategies related to international recruitment, uh, backing them up with strong data. They can do some of the heavy lifting for you in terms of uh, campaigns that you might want to run in specific countries. And there's been a few of those lately that uh, they profile on their sites and in their blogs. But I do want to reference today one uh, one article that came out uh, post-NAFSA. Uh, and this is the, called The Lament That Goes Nowhere, A New Perspective. And what uh, Ben Waxman, who's the CEO of Inted, uh, is me means by this is uh, these, um, the lament is that uh, we're doing such great things in, in, in our international operations, but no one ever hears us. No one listens. Uh, we could be bringing in 10, 15% increases in your new international student enrollments each year, but that never gets heard up the chain or never gets uh, recognized and appreciated and then supported up the chain. Uh, based on all the great things that you might have been doing to get there. So what, uh, what Ben has answered uh, in, this, uh, in, this, in his article here is um, getting to have more than just your international office support what you're doing in, in international education in terms of bringing in more international students, supporting them better uh, when, they're, when they're on campus, that type of thing. So. Uh, the questions that get asked that he references in the article, how do they think we, we will get growth outcomes they want if they don't support us? Why are they not seeing our value or, or valuing our success, uh, our potential, our hard work? Uh, why do the resources always go to the, this other office, uh, not us? So it's really a, a matter of understanding your dynamics on campus. And uh, one of, uh, for those that have been following uh, the Roundup and our newsletter and our services at SMIE Consulting, you know that our, our foundation of all we do in international education should be the six P's of strategic international enrollment management. And those are perspective, those are planning, partners, platforms, personalization, and peers. All of those are what we, if you have these six as your guiding principles moving forward, you're going to attach uh, uh, relevance to what we're, Ben is talking about here in his article, but also you're going to see the value of uh, adapting these principles to everything you do uh, in terms of who you work with, in terms of where you where you spend your time, uh, what uh, platforms you use, who uh, who are your partners that help you leverage not only uh, your goals, not only uh, outside the university but in, on, on college campus, but also those that are, are directly involved with the current student uh, life cycle. Because in re the reality is you're responsible, maybe responsible for just that front end of admissions and recruitment and enrollment. Uh, another office might, might have orientation, another office might have their stu handle student services, and then there's career services and alumni at the end. But really that whole life cycle for international students from initial prospect to successful alum, that is your purview. You're the office that probably has the most input in terms of what that looks like. But you're not the only office that can or should be responsible for that entire life cycle. No one office should. Because uh, frankly, it, it does take a village to graduate an international student, uh, enroll, serve, and graduate uh, successfully international students. And the needs are different. Uh, for international students on a lot of different levels. Some are the same, but some, uh, most are very different. So it's up to 
your office and, and in terms of rallying your support on campus, rallying champions in other departments that know and appreciate what you do and that can also advocate for you when the time comes. But also the key is developing, uh, it's not, you, you can't operate in a vacuum. You have to operate in reality and the reality is uh, offices are competing for resources on campus. Uh, you have to show value and you have to have people who can help you show value and help support the, the, the projects that you're working on. And the more you couch what you do in the language of we're responsible for the entire life cycle of international students. Our role in our international office may be just parts two, three, and four, or it might be one through th one through two, maybe it's all six or seven parts of that journey that international students are on. But you can't, uh, you don't operate, you can be very successful in what you do, but if the rest of the campus isn't supporting students at the same level that you are, then that the, there are going to be problems potentially down the line. So uh, Ben makes the great, uh, great article, uh, great commentary in terms of uh, what is important. That is, you can't just go woe is me all the time. It, you need to be proactive. You need to be managing up, and that's that's a word that I've used for the last uh, five or six years in my in the what I do uh, whenever I've uh, talked to folks on campuses. How are you managing your relationship? not only with your staff, but with your superiors, uh, your direct supervisors, and depending on how far away you are from the president's ear, how are those people up the chain supporting you or not? How are you managing that relationship? So keeping them in the loop on some bigger picture things that might be impacting what you do, or we need to be aware of this, or we need to have our government relations folks advocate for this change. Uh, how active is your, uh, are you uh, or those in your office who can, or your supervisor who might be your champion, direct champion, making those uh, uh, efforts known. So what data are you using? Are you, how are you presenting that? Uh, what uh, thought leadership have you de demonstrated on campus, but in your field as well? Uh, and what re the relationships, I talked about the partners earlier, uh, what relationships with internal or external influencers have you built? Uh, these are the institutional partnerships you might have relationships with, agents, uh, Education USA, uh, other uh, service providers that help you get where you need to be institutionally as in terms of enrollment. So there's some great, uh, great data in here, and or not data, but great uh, thought-provoking, motivating, uh, motivational choices uh, that you can make uh, to uh, take that next step and to make sure that you're not just crying in the wilderness. You actually have a plan for uh, not just enrolling those students, but how to how to manage your uh, your what you getting what you need in your office to do your jobs better uh, and help the campus grow stronger as a result of your work and the work that you're trying to do to grow. Uh, the success rate of international students on campus. And ultimately, that's what we should all be concerned with. How do we make, and this, this goes for international students, it goes for first-generation students, it goes for students of color that might be on campus, all of the different uh, areas of your campus that have special attention paid to them. Each of those sets of student groups have, may have very different needs, and there has, has to be plans campus-wide to accommodate those needs and to serve them best. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. That cannot work in this day and age. So it's important that you articulate what those needs are, that you say, here's what we need to be doing in housing, in food service, in uh, 
in um, orientation in advise academic advising in uh, career services in terms of internships and job placements and that type of thing as well as alumni uh, getting your entire campus team together pulling in the same direction for your students and every group of students will have their their individual needs and that's not your responsibility for those others it's your responsibility for your core group and that's really what Ben's after here is you have to fight that fight uh, you can't uh, and best part is you shouldn't do it alone uh, because if it is you're, pro you're not going to nearly you're not going to be nearly as successful as one uh, who does that and has a team of supporters, a team of champions behind them to make that uh, make that uh, that uh, argument collectively, and having the right data and showing your leadership and showing your network uh, that can help support you in getting where you and the campus need to be uh, regarding international student recruitment. So that's a fantastic way to start this conversation in terms of how you can get your international education plans heard on campus. It's getting those champions to help you support managing up. It's keeping people in the loop as, as plans change, as events of the world impact what you do, and making sure the right people at your university are, are, are able to act quickly uh, on your behalf, on your international students' behalf, to make sure that their interests are protected. So that's really a fantastic start on getting your international ed plans heard on campus, uh, is making sure that you're not alone, making sure you uh, know what you're talking about and can back it up with data, and that you're, you're managing up throughout that process. So those are the th some of the three keys that Ben talks about and I certainly agree with in terms of uh, making sure that it's not just you operating in, the in that vacuum. So let's move on to question two. <clears throat> Now the question itself might seem a little bit strange, but is it possible to flip the international admissions process? And what we're talking about here uh, is really uh, the, how our admissions processes are set up in the United States. And I've made this, uh, made this comment several times uh, in presentations I've done over the years that right now in the U.S., our admissions processes are far too complicated in the, in the large. Not, not every institution is this way, but because we are a, a nation of individuals uh, and value uh, independence and, uh, and individuality, uh, this uh, approach does not always uh, it does not always uh, look, uh, appear favorably uh, to international students when they they're trying to figure out where to apply, what schools require, what tests, what are the deadlines, uh, why, they, why and all these extra requirements that, that might be needed for an application like an essay or a teacher recommendation, where uh, most parts of the world they don't know what teacher recommendations are, and if they have to write one, they don't know how to write one. So there's a lot of complications that go into this mix. But the question of is it possible to flip the admissions process is coming out of an article that uh, I saw this past week um, in, inside higher ed uh, call, uh, calling for a radical change for admissions. And what the system, uh, what they're talking about here uh, is not for the elite universities around the, around the country that are very selective and accept less than five or six percent of their applicants each year. We're talking here about the greater majority of institutions that are selective to less selective uh, or open admissions really uh, and this is a way for a new way for colleges to admit students that is 
this it's, it's a company called Concourse that's been using their system to admit international students to American and international universities uh, for the last couple of years. And the model is uh, fairly different. Uh, it uh, Colleges uh, would look at the students and make offers of admissions based on their portfolios without even knowing their names uh, in, this, in this new environment. So students uh, put their profiles in, their grades, uh, transcripts, all of that uh, in, into a, a basic profile that's anonymous uh, that uh, students would then uh, be uh, selected by institutions. Uh, that they've, They do the hard work putting their profile together with all the grades and everything. And then you make um, grades, interests, other information, that type of thing. And uh, the goal would be to uh, have offers of admission come directly from institutions who go in and self-select uh, students that they think meet their needs and would be good fits for them. So in effect, uh, you're applying to that student to get their uh, interest, uh, to get their uh, enrollment. Uh, so it's what uh, I think is a real fascinating approach. Uh, this is uh, last year the program had 2,000, a little over 2,000 international students participate uh, in this project. Uh, the program is a small, it's a small because uh, it's new and they're planning to expand I think four or five times in the coming year. Uh, David Hawkins, a good friend over at NACAC, has been there for ages, chief education and policy officer there. Uh, he, sa he says he sees this approach as an innovative, possibly disruptive approach uh, to connecting students and coll with colleges and vice versa. So what it is doing is uh, based on a profile, institutions based on a profile that the student puts in, not, uh, it's not name specific yet, it's based on, uh, it's anonymous until they make an offer, uh, that uh, where they're from, uh, interests, that type of thing you'll know, but you will not know their name or uh, the, uh, at the, the personal information on the uh, transcript is, is anonymized until uh, offers are made. So it's a, it's a very different and, and no other uh, companies really doing that right now. Can that be done globally? Uh, that's obviously a very different question, but as a model, I want to talk about the, the answer to this question as a model when talking about flipping the admissions process. And that is not necessarily doing what Concourse is doing, but really taking the approach of uh, flipping the admissions process for international students potentially could be a, a, a concourse model someday uh, globally. But it is looking at the admissions process as uh, one where, yes, uh, your admissions process is probably fairly straightforward. You have X, Y, and Z requirements. Uh, you might have a deadline. You might be rolling admissions. But in the end, you do have an end deadline for international students, even if you are rolling, because if they're outside the country, they're not going to be able to get in uh, if you don't admit them by June 1st or May 1st or whatever deadline you might have to get them on campus by the fall because of visa processing and all that fun stuff. But so let's look at that admissions process piece. Um, and it goes, this also goes back to uh, the first P of the six P's of strategic international enrollment management that we talk about often, and that's called perspective. Now, the perspective here is uh, when, when I talk, there, there are a number of different levels to perspective. It's internal perspective, understanding your campus and what the lay of the land is internationally and support internationally, what, 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 the, what the campus feels about that. And the, but the reality of perspective uh, that institutions need to have and international admissions offices need to have as they're approaching students abroad is recognizing they, that they are 
potentially looking at not just you and your major competitor in the United States, which may be very different uh, internationally than it is domestically uh, in terms of US, other US institutions you might be competing for for the same students. You're competing against other countries' universities for the interest and attention of that student. And you're competing against them because uh, we uh, in the United States uh, have often felt, uh, because of our reputation as the number one destination for international students, that we don't have to work very hard for these international students, that they should just come to us and enroll and be happy that they're here and they'll have the best experience anyway. So the reality is other, other institutions in other countries have national international ed strategies that have well-funded uh, outreach campaigns, have much uh, more simplified admissions processes. And that's the piece here that I want to focus on than we do here uh, in the United States. Unless you're an open enrollment college, um, community college or, in, or university, you have uh, admissions requirements. It may be as simple as uh, an application transcript and uh, an English proficiency test. Uh, that that's probably the the simplest an application fee. Maybe uh, most people have application fees. Maybe you can waive them. Maybe you can, but those three or four things are the uh, minimums that you need to make a decision. Others might have essays, might have uh, SAT, ACT requirements still, even in this day and age post-pandemic, um, may have recommendation letters, uh, activity lists, um, auditions, and all these other things. And there's still a place for that in some selective programs that have limited capacity, and uh, in the arts, uh, certainly makes sense to have some way of evaluating students on that in that regard. But when you talk about the majority of students that are coming to our country that might also be looking at Canada, might be looking at the UK, might be looking at Australia, uh, they have a much more streamlined admissions process in almost all cases. There are, uh, in, the U in, for in the UK, there's one application that you fill out for all undergraduate programs. There's one application you fill out for all graduate programs in the UK. So you don't have a choice. That's the way you go. Uh, and the application process and timelines are, are much, um, tend to be much uh, more uh, open. Uh, with the exception of the UK, they have early uh, early deadlines in maybe Jan December, January, for uh, where evaluations are made on predicted grades uh, for domestic students that are continuing on based on their AS levels and A levels, uh, predicted marks. Um, and then they uh, have what's called clearing in the summer, which is literally a month or two before classes start, where if you didn't get in your first choice, uh, based on uh, openings that may have opened up at that institution that you were looking for, that you didn't get initially uh, into a program you wanted, you may be able to switch your choice and clear your way into the program that you want. So that process can uh, also allow for greater flexibility for, for you, uh, for students to find you. But uh, in the United States, we don't have that process. We make it more complicated than any other place in the world to be admitted to our institutions in the lion's share of cases. And it's more complicated because of the extra requirements we have. And when I say the answer to this question, is it possible to flip the international admissions process? Uh, perhaps not to the extent universally as Concourse is trying to do uh, with their model where you pick the students based on their profile, not on their names. Uh, and that uh, is how you admit them. Uh, some colleges might say, how do we do that? And not, not, not really be able to wrap their heads around that. But what I'm saying is a simpler process to, is to realize that 
you need to recruit, uh, it's, it sounds kind of inane to say you need to recruit these students. Well, of course, that's where an international recruitment office or an international admissions and recruitment office. That's my, my title. I'm an international recruitment officer. Um, but the reality is you are to, to recruit them. Uh, but you, the way your process is set up is very much you're the final arbiter in that process. That you don't really... Um, uh, um, give the student a chance to be selected, uh, that they, they show interest in you by applying, obviously, uh, and you spend your time trying to convince them once they've applied that, uh, you're, that you by responding quickly and making decisions quickly on their applications, by uh, taking advantage of what um, interests that they have that you can leverage and, and talk about how they will be happy on your campus because we have X and Y to help you support your uh, efforts to do Z. So these are the things that uh, matter uh, in terms of what you do now, but think about it in terms of flipping it, that you need to be more, more on the front foot here, uh, that uh, you can simplify your admissions process, uh, you can get rid of the, t uh, the test scores, uh, SAT and ACT test scores. You can look at uh, your English proficiency standards in terms of exemptions for students from countries that have English as their language of instruction as, and as a national language, other uh, education systems that are taught in English or uh, that are international in nature that you could uh, give exemptions to students enrolled in those, those rather than still requiring a TOEFL IELTS. You can not have a uh, essay or, or teacher recommendation requirement. Uh, you can make the process very simple and, in effect, go after students that you, uh, in a way that perhaps you haven't done before, where you do have information from uh, a college fair that you uh, meet a student at or virtually or in person, uh, or if you receive a letter or an email from a student that details all their interests. And you can particularly target that student in response and say, we want you to apply because you're, you're, your profile looks fantastic, you're the kind of student we want on campus, all of those things. Uh, so uh, while the concourse model is attractive, it's not universally available. Uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's something that uh, maybe versions of it may evolve over time. But right now, uh, there are uh, numbers of uh, providers out there that have uh, pr uh, college search profiles that uh, students look at your information and then decide whether they want to re request more information. That's the standard way of uh, getting information from universities or them students finding out information about universities. But uh, is there a way that we so universities can be going after students more directly when you can uh, look at a profile of a student, uh, maybe from, you can uh, search from where, where they are in the world, and then you can look at interests, look at academics, and then tailor a response to them in an offer that you make, an admissions offer that you make that uh, would be attractive to them and that's tailored to them and is personalized to them so that they can see, oh my goodness, this school really cares about me. Or yes, they're going to be a really good match because they have X, Y, and Z and that's what I want. So yes, it's possible to flip the admissions process. Uh, and if you think about it in the terms of shifting your perspective on uh, who you're competing against, not just other US institutions, but competitors around the world that have much simpler admissions process, what's your competitive advantage going to be? Thinking about that and how you talk to prospective students is, and, and the admissions process is going to give you that edge. So last question of the day. What's happening north of the border when it comes to international students in Canada? There have been a couple of stories in the past week that have been particularly troubling, uh, and those have to do with um, 
Uh, one is what we've covered here on, on the Roundup in the past, and that is uh, some, some of the uh, vocational colleges in Quebec province uh, have, uh, they're under the M, uh, M star, I think, what, what are they, what are they called? Uh, the M colleges um, were required to close a few months ago uh, because they, uh, they, they basically were had used, uh, attracted students uh, didn't uh, that for for tuition fees from overseas, primarily from India, uh, and then uh, had to uh, that poor management at those colleges forced shutdowns uh, because they were they had overpaid for for, for the students that had enrolled and whatever the case may be. That the in Quebec it's gotten so so bad that uh, it's, uh, it's now an integrity issue, that they are addressing gaps uh, by, uh, that's been brought to light by uh, certain unsubsidized private colleges. And here we're talking about those that are uh, opening really to provide a pipeline for uh, international students to come, uh, short-term vocational programs, and then uh, work uh, after graduation and become citizens or residents uh, that for eventual residents after they have their work permits. Uh, colleges will claim uh, in, claim uh, ignorance and that they've done nothing wrong, but uh, that they, these colleges play an important role in the province and the country as a whole in terms of bringing in uh, these, uh, these students. Uh, we see uh, that these colleges that might have been performing well are now what's and again what's happening in, Can in, in Quebec province is the entire province is removing these unsubsidized private colleges, vocational colleges, uh, are removing their ability to enroll international students as a result of the poor, poor mismanagement, uh, poor management of uh, those colleges that were forced to close. Now, Quebec uh, province, uh, each of the provinces will make their own uh, determinations as to the uh, ability of the colleges or universities in their province to enroll international students and this uh, is is something that <clears throat> in Quebec that pathway is now closed uh, so uh, it's it's a significant uh, issue uh, the Indian students that have been coming to these uh, vocational colleges in Quebec are no longer going to be able to do that uh, that uh, the agreement the province made was actually had to be get uh, Ottawa's blessing, the federal government's blessing to uh, address uh, the gaps in what they call the murky private college sector. And uh, that has led to uh, obviously those that were those colleges that were on the up and had been doing things well that are on subsidized privates. They're now suffering as a result of the poor performance of uh, some of the less than uh, honest uh, colleges that have been forced to close and have been continued to drag the sector down that way. So that's one major issue. And is Quebec the only province that's experienced this? Not at all. Uh, you, you can see similar issues in Ontario um, where they have even more of these uh, private unsubsidized colleges, uh, particularly bring in hundreds of thousands, well, thousands of uh, of Indian students to these vocational programs. Uh, they've had, a lot of them have had problems during the pandemic. Uh, a lot of them have had significant financial uh, challenges uh, because of uh, students not being able to get visas or study permits, as they say in Canada, to get in. But the final piece of that, uh, another story, another troubling piece uh, that's a more countrywide is 
Uh, Canada's Immigration Department uh, has, uh, the data has shown that uh, African ap admitted students are, uh, are getting their visas denied at a much higher rate than uh, any other demographic around the world. 49% uh, of study permits uh, were denied in 2020, uh, down to 40% of uh, in 2021. But uh, refusal rates were, according to this Pine News article, were particularly high among students from Africa. Uh, and that's even despite the government's francophone immigration targets, that uh, stu students from French-speaking African countries uh, do play an important role uh, in uh, France, or uh, in, in uh, coming to Canadian provinces, uh, particularly in Quebec. Uh, that the Francophone uh, Af African Francophone African refusal rate was 73 percent, uh, and the rest of Africa was 75 percent. That's compared to the overall 49 percent in 2020 uh, and 20 and 21 2021 numbers of 40 percent. So significantly higher. Uh, so that is a, a real concern for um, Canadian universities that are trying to um, improve their. Uh, international profile by bringing more of these African students, uh, they're getting denied at a much higher rate. And I, I know in the U.S. Uh, we probably have similar concerns, though we don't have the data to really back that up. Uh, we hear what's ha what happens in certain key markets in Nigeria, Ghana, uh, what, what have you, that uh, the visa rate denial rates are higher. Uh, the State Department never puts a, a total visa, uh, a country by country, student visa denial rate out, information out there. You got to do a lot of digging to try and piece that together. But uh, that's particularly a concern for the universities in Canada uh, who are doing trying to go that extra extra mile or two to internationalize, and having facing these real challenges in Africa about uh, getting students admitted and doing all the hard work to uh, get them interested and convince them that they want to be on their campus, but the realities have been uh, that only one in three, one in four are actually getting their visas. So some troubling news north of the border, but certainly we're not immune for that from that south of the border either. And we'll cover a lot more of those stories over the summer months too as uh, the visa race hots up. So that's all we have for you today on the Midweek Roundup. Thank you so much for joining us. And do uh, be sure to subscribe uh, for a podcast of the version of the Roundup if you'd prefer to catch the audio-only version of this, uh, as well as subscribe to the newsletter. So until next time, we wish you the very best. Have a good day.